Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. This time around, we are going to be talking about Sicarius tomosoides, which, quite frankly, we were supposed to be doing last week, but I had posted the video version of this up about the care of this species, and somebody had made a comment, and it turned into what I think was a, a pretty good discussion about the fine line we walk, where we want to make sure that people understand that certain species can be a bit more tricky and potentially dangerous than others, but we don't want to overdo it and drive people away from them or, you know, give people that aren't in the hobby a bad impression of our hobby. And it was nice because a lot of people came forward. One of the general con things, general consensus I heard from a lot of keepers is the fact that they tend to try to treat their old worlds and new worlds exactly the same, which is what always what I did. And again, I tend to get a lot of comments on my rehousing videos about me being overly cautious where I'm doing like recently I did a new world species and it was very laid back, but I did my whole catch cup. I treat them all the exact same way because I really want that muscle memory there. I want it to be a situation where if something bolts, my thought is if I'm working with new worlds and I'm handling them and picking them up and putting them in the enclosure, then what happens when I have an old world that goes to bolt? My first reaction is going to be to stick my hand out and grab it and that's not going to work well for anybody. Then there's the fact I do a lot of rehousing videos and let's call it as it is. A lot of the people that are watching these rehousing videos know little to nothing about tarantulas. So I remember one comment, I think it was on an OBT rehousing. Somebody asked, I have, my friend has a little rose here. Why can't you just pick that spider up and put it in its new enclosure? And the resulting dialogue revealed that this individual didn't even know the difference between old worlds and new worlds. It was shocked to find out that this thing could have a nasty bite because they'd heard the old bee sting rumor. So it's one of those deals where I'm trying to set a good example and make sure that I, I don't ever want to put anything out there that somebody's going to look at and misconstrue. And if doing this for as long as I have has taught me anything... It's that as thorough and as clear as you think you're being, there's always going to be somebody out there that gets the wrong impression, the wrong idea. It's just the way it is. And so I try to be very careful to avoid that when possible, which is why I do things the way I do them. So anyway, it was good because a good discussion came out of it. A lot of people chimed in with the actual paper that I had been referencing that we'll talk about in a moment when we get into the actual species. And I think it turned into a better video overall, especially for somebody that watches the video, goes down in the comments, you get, you know, somebody that's looking to keep this species will feel much better about it. So, again, excited to finally get on to these guys. It's been a really stressful week. Uh, I did apply for a new job. It looks like I probably got it, which is great. But uh, I'll tell you, these online, we did the Google Meet interviews. I, I don't mind interviews usually. I like being, I'm, I'm a type of person that needs to be in front of somebody. I'm pretty good at reading body language and stuff, and there's nothing worse. Then when you're talking and trying to have your humor come through and your personality come through and you got these little pictures on your screen where you're trying to figure out if, you, if your jokes are hitting or these people are rolling your eyes at you or whatever. Because I like I hate going through interviews and coming across as dry, as I've stated many times before, a little more lively than I come across, I think, in my videos and the podcast and such. But we had to do the Google Meet and it was incredibly stressful worrying about, you know, you sit down and all of a sudden you worry, I, my internet goes out every once in a while. What happens if my internet goes out? My dogs are all here and at one point I have one dog that if he doesn't feel like you're paying enough attention to you, he will get up, this Bruticus, he'll get up and like bark at you, like pet me. He's got some severe anxiety issues. And I'm like, what happens if he gets up in the middle of it? So anyway, it was it was a really stressful interview. I had to do a presentation to a bunch of people I'd never met before. But looks like I got so a lot of cool changes. Billy and I have also been house shopping because, again, one of the things I've talked about many times before is... When we moved to this house, it's I love this house. I absolutely love the house I'm in, but there really isn't a lot of room for the tarantulas. The rooms are kind of small and cramped. It would be nice to have a, a larger house at this point, especially for the exotics. I would love to be able to break those tarantulas out into something a lot larger. I'd love to be able to shoot from inside my room. The room as it is right now, 
with the amount of shelving, there really just isn't room to negotiate around with a camera or, any, or anything. So we've been looking at that. So a lot of cool changes coming, but a lot of stressful changes coming. So just want to let people know that if it, you know we get a little further in this year and school starts up again, it's going to be, you know, obviously the podcast I've been able to do every single week. I've missed one week with the podcast so far, which I'm incredibly proud of because it was one of those things when I started it, it was like, well, we have enough information to keep this thing going. We do. I feel very comfortable with it. So that's not an issue, but with the videos and stuff, we'll see how it goes. Again, I'm trying to bank them up so I have extras in there, but just heads up that uh, that's coming down the pipe. And I'll obviously keep... The, YouTube people probably won't know as much, although I might mention it in an intro or an outro, but here I try to keep everybody up to date because it's this conversational format which lends itself much more to me rambling on for, well, it looks like four minutes now. So anyway, just some things that are going on in my life that I'm pretty excited about that are pretty cool. So let's move on to Sicarius Tomasides. I picked two of these up off of somebody from, I believe it was Fauna Class, uh, yeah, Fauna Classifieds a couple of years ago. I'd been eyeing them for quite some time, and one of the things that actually kept me from immediately grabbing them was the fact that they've long been touted as one of the most dangerous and potent spiders in the world as far as venom is concerned, and that's where I think one of the things we need to look at with these guys, because they are one of those spiders that I do believe some people get for the wrong reasons. They get them because they want to have their friends over, and not everybody, and not a lot of people, I, I just, but it is one of those spiders because I have spoken to people before that have kind of shared this sentiment with me. They love breaking them out and be like, yeah, this one here can kill you. It's kind of, you get a thrill. And you know what? If I'm being completely honest, when you keep something that's that dangerous, you do, I think for some of us, there is that little thrill. There's like a, almost like I'm doing something naughty here. I'm doing something wrong by keeping this. And I know when, before I got mine, I did a lot of research on them. I don't, I, there are certain animals I wouldn't bring into my home. Like when we did snakes, I had a rule that I was not going to keep venomous snakes. And I know some people who keep venomous snakes will probably come up and go, there's no big deal. Totally get it. And I'm not against keeping venomous snakes and there are some that you know I'd look at that I would love to keep but having spent a lot of time working with snakes I also recognize the fact that when working with snakes I think I was bit a total of three times I had uh, 40 at some point for many 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 years um two of them two of them were I believe little rosy boas those when I first picked those guys up they had reputation for being super tractable and handleable and cute and mine were little nasty jerks sometimes you'd pick them up and they would basically just kind of turn around like they were going to go slither up your arm and just bite you and so I got bit by two of those and then once like an idiot and this was just a stupid uh, keeper mistake I had what at my time at the time I think it was six foot seven foot boa constrictor in my living room and I had a buddy come over who always thought he was scared of the snakes always thought they were mean and he's like that snake looks like it wants to kill me I'm like no no she just ate two days ago she's fine look at and I opened the cage like an idiot and anybody that's kept snakes knows what's coming here and I went to stick my hand in. As my hand was going, I watched that head movement when they go into, we used to call it going into the S when they're ready to strike. And it was like, oh, and before I could even get the, the word that was going to come out of my mouth, she struck, caught me on the back of my hand. And that was totally my fault. I felt more bad for the snake because they can break teeth doing that. I felt terrible for her. She immediately recoiled, but it was, you know, it was bleeding like crazy. It was a nasty wound. So, and then I had another snake that tried to get me, the one we referred to last time, the Maclots python named Hot Lips, that when she would try to come at you, she was tough to wrangle. Like, it wasn't like a tarantula... When they go into the defensive mode, they usually, they might charge at you a little bit to kind of put on a threat display, but then they throw up that threat display and they slap at you. You can, you can run away from them, generally speaking. With snakes, I found them, you know, just a little trickier to work with. So anyway, as I go off on a huge tangent, 
I decided I didn't want to keep Venomous Snakes because I knew I'd have to be extra on my game and it just wasn't something I wanted to get into. And I kind of took that approach when I got into tarantulas and spiders. I told Billy, listen, I'm not going to keep anything that I, that's deadly to humans. That's going to be my line. I'm going to you know make sure we don't do that because it was kind of... And, and I think if I decided to, well, obviously we got the Tomasoides at the point where we thought it was deadly, but if it was something I decided to do, I would talk to her about it, make sure she was comfortable and explain that the research I'd done on him, the fact that I do think I can continue them easily scorpions have come out i've never gotten the death stalker but it's it, it again it's one of those animals that i think some people get them because they look cool and they like scorpions and they like the species some people get them because they want to basically brag that they have something that can kill you it's one of those ones that pops up in youtube video topics you know or well look at my deadly scorpions my man killing scorpions that's one of the that's the thrill i think for some people so with the scarius tomasoides i read all this sensationalized stuff on it and how they can kill you and then i did some more digging and found out the big thing with these guys that people should know about and we'll get this right out of the way is they can't climb climb glass or plastic smooth glass or plastic so if you have them in an acrylic enclosure or a glass enclosure they can scuttle they can get a good running start i've seen one like kind of look like it was going to go up the side and slip back down but they're not like tarantulas in that they can grip that glass and climb. So if you're looking at these guys and you're afraid of them, that's a huge thing for me. And I've had this discussion with people before because, again, with the with the video, with the comment that this person put up about the Tomasoides, one of my things I talked about in the video was, for the most part, they're containable. And for those of us who work around animals, that's a big deal. If you got a lot of us that keep scorpions, I've talked to other people recently because I did mention scorpions in my defense of talking about this species and how my scorpions are, can be readily contained. Other people said the exact same thing. Like scorpions compared to tarantulas sometimes are so easy to deal with because they can't get out. If you put them in something that's deep enough that they can't get out of. So keep in mind, they can use their tails to push themselves up and over. And I've seen that before. And I've fallen victim to that before where I put them in something that's a little bit shallow. And next thing I know, it, the thing's using its tail to get up over the edge. That you got to be careful. But if you put them in, all you got to do is put them in something deep. They can't get out. And to catch them, you, I've used the cup technique. I've used big spoons. You take a big spoon, you scoop them right out, you drop them right in the other thing. They're really easy to contain and work with. And obviously, there are some out there that are a little more defensive than others. But again, the old cup does a wonderful job of covering them up and protecting you. So I think in that instance, people that keep those, we recognize the fact that the danger that everybody talks about, yes, if you screw up or one of these things were to get out, yes, there's definitely a potential danger there. That's not something I'd want at all. I mean, the, think about it. You, a scorpion gets out, it's going to try to hide someplace in a shoe or something in the room. Who knows? That could be that could be dangerous to you, your pets, people in your house. But anybody that's using a, you know even a modicum of common sense should be able to contain these guys. So when doing the research on the Tomasoides, I found out that they couldn't climb the glass. Now, a little caveat to that, I've heard that if the if you're using a tank and it has the silicone, they can sometimes get up that silicone to a point. So something to be aware of and careful about if you're putting them in an enclosure that's glass and has silicone holding it together. The other thing I worry about is dirty glass. Like if there's feces or something on the glass that it can use its feet to grip onto, it could get up there, but it's not going to move the same way a tarantula can shoot up anything. A tarantula can go right up the side of a glass enclosure right out before you blink your eye. These guys are going to stumble a bit. So something to keep in mind, you never want to let your guard down. You never want to take things for granted. You never want to work with an animal that, you know, at least originally was thought to be that potentially dangerous and have a situation where all of a sudden, oh God, it did get up the glass. There was feces on the side. There was sand on the side when I put it in and managed to make it up. That's not something anybody wants. And that's something you always got to be careful about. 
So anyway, after lots of deliberation, we finally found a place that sold these. I've been eyeing them for quite some time, and I picked up two. One of them was about a half an inch. One of them was probably eh, a little less than a half an inch or so. They were a decent size and well started, and these guys can be very teeny tiny as babies, and I've spoken to some people that have the babies now, and what they've been feeding them is a little flightless fruit flies. I... I have not, I did not start mine out as teeny tiny babies, but I am on the lookout for some now because this is a species I've decided I will be keeping in my collection for the long term. I, there's certain ones when you keep spiders and you keep exotics that you get and they're the, I don't like to say one and done because a lot of times you enjoy them, but it's ones you keep and you're not, once they end up passing on, you're not enthused enough to go immediately pick up some more you might go ah, later on down the road i'd love to have one of these again but you're not jumping to it these are guys if anything would happen to this uh tomasoides that i have i would definitely want to get more so i'm on the lookout for more but anyway picked them up as little teeny tiny slings and i had them originally in the amac boxes the ones that are about four by four by maybe about five or six inches tall or so and at that point, I had them locked away inside another acrylic enclosure that had a padlock on it for extra caution, just in case nobody ever goes into my transfer room. But it was, again, when you get these new things and you hear the word deadly, you, you start to take extra precautions. But at the time, I put them on desert sand. I believe I picked it up from Amazon. And with the debt, what I had heard is they sell the calcium sand that they use for reptiles and such. I've heard many people talk about that's not good for scorpions and inverts. I don't know. It could be one of those things that later on we prove now it's perfectly fine. But I did read some stuff early on that when possible, use the straight desert sand. It has a nice look to it. it you know, it, it, it seems a little bit finer as far as grain. So we use that. And I put maybe eh, about three quarters of an inch in each of the enclosures. I'll put a little piece of cork bark in there, but they're not going to need it. They're going to bury themselves in the sand. And if you haven't seen these guys do it, there's some great videos out there. I think I think the Spider-Man has videos of his burying themselves like in slow motion, but they basically flatten themselves out on the surface and to hide, they basically kick the sand on themselves with their legs. It's adorable to watch. So I put two of them in there and what with these guys, they tend to be, one of the things they talk about is they're living fossils. They're creatures that haven't changed in like a million years. I don't know what the actual time is, but they've been many, 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 many years that these guys really haven't changed at all. They haven't evolved. They haven't, you know, there's nothing different about them, which I always found to be incredibly cool. But they're also one of the longer living species of spiders you can keep. And supposedly females can live 10 to 15 years. Males, it's like three or four, I guess. That's what I've been told. I have, uh, out of the two that I got, one of them matured. I, I believe it was a mature male. And it was kind of, it lived for about another six or seven months or so, and then it died. But at the same period it died was during a particularly warm stretch in the summer where we're having really humid weather, and these guys do not do well with humidity. And that's something to be aware of. I had somebody contact me a few years ago that had raised one, and they were worried that it wasn't doing well, so they sprayed down the whole inside of the enclosure and had done this for a week. The thing was dead within a week. And I've heard from other people that have kept them for a while that said don't even put a water dish in with them because they do not do well with extra humidity. They're not a species that's going to do well if the humidity goes up. And at one point when, the, when I lost the male, one of the things I did with the other one, which I believe is female, is I had these cages, the enclosures, the AMAC boxes, and they had the little round vent in the top. I took the round vent out and I took basically a cup a two-ounce deli cup, poked a bunch of hole, whole bunch of holes around the top rim of it, 
filled it with baking soda and dipped that into the actual hole in the top. This is how obsessive I got because I was really worried. wasn't sh- totally sure if this was a male or not, and I was really worried the humidity seemed to be bothering them both. So I put that in so it would absorb some of the humidity on the, in the inside of the enclosure. And it seemed to do well because it was super humid and they were out and about a lot more. Usually they cover themselves up, you don't see them, but they were out a lot, kind of. They looked uncomfortable. They looked like they weren't settled in. And within a couple days, she had buried herself. She was acting normally again, even with the humidity staying up. So it was just something that seemed to work well for me. I don't know if it was just making me feel better, if it was just, you know, again, one of those false positives where I assumed that the humidity was bothering them. Maybe they were just extra antsy because it was hot. Who knows? But it did worry me because I have heard that the humidity can be an issue with them, that you don't even need to give them water dishes. They are used to conserving their fluids. They get it from their prey. And I know some people, when we talk about the water dish debate with tarantulas, it's the whole, well, they may not need them in the wild. They may be able to get their moisture from prey, but they'll drink from them. From what I've gathered from these guys, they they do not need the extra water. They do not need to be sprayed. They do not need to be misted. They can live in bone dry conditions and that the extra humidity and water can actually harm them. So that's just how I've treated them. If somebody else has had different experience with this, please chime in. But I've spoken to quite a few people that have kept these, including somebody that bred them, and they said that's they never put water in with them. So you put them in, it's, they're easy as heck to keep because you drop them in the enclosure within a couple minutes, they'll usually bury themselves and they have a cool thing where they basically embed particles of sand in their carapace, I mean in their exoskeleton to allow them to even camouflage further. So for example, when I dropped mine in, they were almost like a deep burgundy brown color is slings. And within a month or so, they had taken in all those fine particles of sand dust, got them into their their exoskeleton and they start blending in. They camouflage beautifully. And I've seen situations where people have put them in with the colored sand. So for example, somebody put them in with, it was like a light blue, a sky blue dyed sand, and they did take on that coloration. So you would have blue spiders, which it's really kind of cool. It, it looked neat. I wouldn't do it because again, I'm not, I'm staying away from anything with dyes in it or any of the calcium sands, but it did look really cool and was kind of a neat thing and kind of showed how they use that to camouflage themselves. So they're even more difficult to spot. Now, anybody that's kept these guys will tell you the, the most fun thing with them is watching them hunt. And I, it's the only spider back when I used to, when I first started getting the tarantulas, I'll admit this, when I would feed them, I couldn't look directly at the spider when it pounced. I was still obviously trying to get over my fear of spiders, and it was something about that explosiveness that really freaked me out. So, for example, if I dropped a cricket in, I couldn't stare at the spider and at the cricket waiting for it to pounce. I had to kind of watch it out of my peripheral vision so that I didn't get startled. No joke. Now, it's not, it hasn't been like that for many years now. I stare right at them. I'm sitting there the other day watching one like two inches away from watching attack. But that used to be an issue. And I've gotten over that now and I can just watch them go. However, with the Scarius Tomasoides, it's like a jack in the box. It's the best way I can explain it. The, you know, the old school jack in the boxes, for those of you listening, they're old enough to remember them. I used to play with them and do this thing where I'd try to get it right before that last click and hold it. And then finally it would pop out and it would scare the heck out of you. That's how they hunt. You sometimes don't know. The, the game we play at my house is when we feed mine, we put them out on the table. Everybody comes around, and the first thing we try to do is figure out where the spider is. And sometimes you can see the little indents where it buried itself. Sometimes you can't. One time, it was a molted leg. So I thought the spider was in one corner because I saw the molted leg. And I'm like, oh, there's its little leg hanging out. It wasn't. It was a molt. The thing exploded from the other corner. scared the heck out of me because they spring up. They grab it. They tag it. And sometimes they'll wrap it up. Sometimes they tag it. And I've noticed if it's a big enough prey item, they back up, let it wander off a little bit, die, and then they go over and eat it, which is really cool. 
but amazing to watch. They are fast, they are explosive, and they look like little alien facehuggers. They look like little xenomorph babies. It's amazing to watch them hunt. And those big gangly legs, just such cool species. So if you get one, that's one of the fun parts about it. Do know they can be a little shy when it's light out. And when the lights are on, they can be a little photosensitive. And I have, I've had some hunt, uh, mine hunt sometimes when lights are on. But if I really want to get a good look at them, I put them in a darker corner of the room. Or if we bring them into the dining room, what I do is turn the lights off a little bit so we can't, you know, so they don't get startled, drop the prey item in and we watch. And usually they'll go and hunt. But it's so cool to watch. And the majority of people, when I posted the video up, that were con- kept them commented about how much fun it is to watch them hunt. So much like, you know, people that keep trapdoor spiders, you enjoy watching the different, you know, the way they hunt. It's really cool to see a trapdoor spider. For people that keep tarantulas, they're like, oh, I've seen things hunt. It's it's different. Trust me. It's just really cool to watch. So you want to put them in some sand. You want to put them in an enclosure that has some height so they can't get out of it. You can give them as much room as you want because generally, if, if it's just the whole, if you've got a bigger container and there's a bunch of sand in there, eventually the animal, the prey item that you're going to put in there is going to walk over that spot and they're, they're going to spring their trap and they're going to grab it. So you can give them a little bit of extra room. I kept mine in something that was a little cramped for a little longer than I probably should have. It was one of those deals where I was trying to find a good enclosure for it because, it, again, it's one of my showcase animals. I love this thing. I love watching it. My family loves watching it. So basically we had the two of them. One of them grew up, molted. It was about ah, probably about two and a half, two and three quarters inches long or so. And never really, it ate once and then didn't really eat. And was every morning I'd come out and it was out and about and then it would bury itself again. So my thought process was a male. I talked to somebody else. They said it sounded like the size of it, how old it was, or it was probably a male. But again, I did not sex that. I did not have that type of knowledge for of them yet. I probably should have asked somebody at that point to look at it and do it, but I just assumed that it was a male, although in the back of my mind, there was that whole humidity thing. The other one continued to molt, got much bigger. She's probably about two and three quarters, maybe three. It's hard to tell on her. She's very gangly. Good size spider, though. And while we're talking about feeding, I don't think this is a species. They are long-lived. They are from areas where they probably... They have to conserve their energy. They have to have that potent venom because basically they're not going to have their ambush predators. They have to, they're sitting there in these desert environments, buried in sand, just waiting for something appropriately sized to walk over top of them so they can spring and grab it. So you got to figure they're going to miss some targets. They're going to have days where nothing goes by. So this isn't a species I would overfeed. I think the problem with them is there's so much fun to watch feed that it's easy to keep dropping things in. And I think that would be a mistake. I'm trying to feed mine now. I usually feed them about once a month or so. I give them a good size. Before I was giving them smaller items, I was feeding them every two or three weeks. Now I give them a decent size item and it's like once a month. I've gone even a little longer than that. If it looks pretty fat in the booty, I'm going to give it some space and, and not overfeed it because I do wonder if part of their longevity comes from the fact that in the wild, they're not going to be eating that much at all. I mean, I, I would venture a guess that they can go weeks without ever having an appropriate prey item. They, you know, it's, it's the nature of living in the wild, the nature of trying to hunt for your prey. You have to wait for there to be prey coming towards you and around you. And if you're buried in the middle of the sand, that can take a little while. So I, I would caution against overfeeding them. I know that I had heard that they live a long time, that they take a while to molt, but I was feeding mine quite a bit when I first got them because I was, I was enjoying watching them eat. And they, I noticed they would eat, they would fill up. And next thing you know, they're in pre-molt and I'd come in one morning and there'd be a molted spider in there. So I would caution 
mentioned against feeding them all that much. Again, you don't want to miss. Don't get in the habit. There's no need to miss them. I believe there's no need for a water dish. Just drop in those nice juicy prey items every once in a while and watch your spider grow. Now, as far as temperament, they want to hide. They don't want anything to do with you. I've even gone in there with a paintbrush before to try to uncover where the spider is. And they will stay crouched down, hidden and beneath the sand until the last possible minute. Like they are really, kind of reminds me of how uh, Pisletheria species will flatten out as you're working in there. And they just get flatter and flatter. They're trying to hide. They're desperately trying to hide. It's the same thing. They cling to that sand. They don't want to jump. But once they get spooked and they start moving around they are very quick but they're it's that scuttery speed it's like the the it's just a freaking storm of little gangly legs flicking all around as they try to bolt around the enclosure they'll sprint all around they'll make a good running jump for trying to get up the side but they can't get up the sides but no that can that can be startling to see these guys you know get an inch off the ground or so before slipping back down so something to be aware of but more often they're they're really shy and i've read literature out there that says that they don't necessarily want to envenomate you because they need that venom to catch prey they need they want to save their venom for when a prey item comes by so their first reaction i've never seen mine throw up a threat posture i've never seen mine do anything but run they run all around the enclosure trying to get away from you almost like a roach would they don't i've yet to have one stand my ground now does that mean that somebody might not get one out there that's a little more brazen and it will sit there and throw up a threat posture i'm sure some there's one out there that'll stand its ground but for the most part they're shot they're incredibly skittish and they don't want anything to do with you and their first second and third responses seem to be to run and get away from you now obviously under most circumstances you're not going to have any concerns about having physical contact with the animal if you've got it contained in a deep enough enclosure this should never be an issue where this is going to come into play is for rehousings that could obviously cause some stress and i've had people chime in on the rehousing video i did saying that they were freaking out the whole time because they were worried about me but they're really pretty easy to contain the trick is you want to find where the spider is first you want to get something in there that allows you to kind of cut into the sand a little bit so what i used was one of the two by two or two and a half by two and a half whatever the smaller amac boxes i took the lid off and used that because it slid right into the other amac box and left no gaps it had a nice little corner that fit in the corner of the other one because i found it it was in a corner slid that in and then used a piece of thinner cardboard i don't think you want to you want to use thin cardboard because you want to very carefully negotiate it underneath between the edge of the box or the catch cup you're using and the sand so you can kind of scoop the spider up and then i kind of got it up so it was out of the sand it scurried kind of up the corner the side of the enclosure and i slid the piece of cardboard off and it was easily contained you want to be obviously extra careful keep your fingers out of the way but it was rather easy to do and because they can't climb glass or plastic you put that in the other enclosure you slide the cardboard out and the spider just plops right down the sand and you're good to go it was, it was rather easy and and pretty stress-free the only part that makes it a little stressful is trying to find the spider to start off and i will tell you if you see the if this would be our game plan beforehand as i've discussed billy and i always talk about what we're going to do beforehand i said if i startle it and it starts running around we're going to wait till it starts to bury itself to try to get it again and the problem is they move so quickly and run and those legs are flying all around that i would be afraid of accidentally pinning a leg if i tried to slide a catch cup over it so the best trick to do is let it if it goes nuts while you're rehousing and it's flying all around the cage, let it calm down. As soon as it gets to the point where it's going to start to bury itself, you'll see it flatten out, starts kicking it, then put the catch cup over it. Now you know exactly where it is. You can avoid pinning its legs, slide the thing underneath it, and catch it. That would be the best way to go. But the new enclosure, we I ended up picking up one of those Herp Colt enclosures. I believe I, I talked about this in an earlier podcast. It was the 8x6x6 with the sliding top, and I love the way it looks with these guys. Just a heads up, if you use one of these, 
and you use the sand. I think I mentioned that when I poured the sand in, there was a lot of dust, and because of the fact that these things are acrylic, there was some static electricity, and the fine dust stuck to the sides of the enclosure, and... When you got a brand new acrylic enclosure, they obviously, they scratch easily, and I didn't want to scratch it, but it was very difficult trying to get the dust off the side of the enclosure. Now, if it had been in a, a species that was moisture-dependent, those are easy. You go in there with a spray bottle, you spray down the whole side of the enclosure, let the stuff just run off, it cleans it off. But I couldn't do that because I needed the sand dry, so I tried a paintbrush. I was scared it was going to scratch it. I ended up revving up my air compressor, compressor in my garage and trying to blow, carefully blow some of the stuff off, hopefully not sandblasting it in the process. So just a heads up on that. But I I put in a little plastic plant, uh, put in a, I believe I bought some spider wood a while back and I was going to use it for a tarantula enclosure and not only were the pieces much smaller than I was expecting, but they all had jagged little points on them that would have proven deadly should the tarantula crawl and fall on it. So I never used them, but this guy doesn't uh, crawl. So I put those in there. I, I liked the looks of it. It looked great. We dropped them in and it ended up eating the next day, which was fantastic. So it settled in rather quickly. So this will be its final home right now. Again, she's probably pushing about three inches or so, maybe a little less. And seems to be a good amount of room there. She moves around every once in a while, is in a different area and has eaten twice since then. So she's doing great. Now about the venom. Again, a lot of people pick these guys up, I think, because of the thrill of possibly keeping something that's that venomous. Unfortunately, there was a paper recently, and this is what I'm kicking myself in the butt for, and as I obviously talked about in the last podcast that I did, that I had heard there was a paper that they had reclassified some of them, the ones that had a deadly protein into another genus, and that the South American ones were thought to lack the protein, which means they're not as nearly deadly, and some, some had said harmless, it's a spider bite. I wouldn't play with that regardless. I'd heard they had quite a few different things in their venom. That, that was one of the problems with them. It was, a, it was a potent cocktail. So I don't know how harmless they are, but apparently they will not kill you. So do know if you are keeping Sicarius tomasoides, they are one of the South American species. They do not have the venom, the, the protein in their venom that would make them deadly. That has been proven. Would I let myself get bit by one just to prove that? I would not, but that is... This is an official paper, and thank you to all who sent me the paper. My buddy Lewis sent me one after I, unfortunately, I'd already had the video up, and I'm like, man, let me ask him, because he's always got the papers, and got it to me, and then when I posted the video up on YouTube, a bunch of people also came on to post, so thank you so much for getting me that paper, should have asked ahead of time, but anyway... The African species are the ones that are thought to have that deadly protein, which would make sense. And this was something I always found interesting because when I looked up where the Sicarius tomasoides was from, I was like, oh, I, it would be a New World species. I'm kind of surprised the venom is that potent compared to the African ones. But they have now found that those lack the protein. The African ones are in the genus now Hexophthalm, I believe, or something like Hexophthalm. Some haven't had a lot of practice with that one yet, but they were moved to another genus. So if you have the ones that are from Hexothom, those are the African species. Those do have the protein. Those supposedly are deadly. And then the Cigaris somosodes is no longer considered to be deadly, which is kind of nice in a way. I don't care either way. I mean, I think with some people, there's going to be, oh, I don't have a, a deadly spider anymore. This is the one I show off to everybody. For me, I like these things regardless. It could have it, it could have no bite whatsoever. I wouldn't care. They're just awesome spiders. So again, I, it shouldn't bother anybody because you shouldn't be picking up animals just because they're deadly. But that the reality is there are people, and I do get it to an extent, that will pick up these dangerous animals and it kind of gives you that little thrill. You get the adrenaline rush when you work with them. This one, this one could be deadly. I, I get it to a point. So know that if you pick them up, and they, they're they not deadly if you're trying to explain them, because I know some people came on and said, you know, I want to get one of these, but I told my spouse they were deadly, and she or he said, no way. 
that's not the case anymore. We now know they're not deadly, so feel free to check them out. Unfortunately, they don't seem to be popping up all that often anymore. When I picked up mine, they were kind of like everybody was selling them. Usually, you could hop on Arachnoboards, the classified section of Arachnoboards, or Fauna Classifieds, and somebody would be selling them. And lately, they haven't been here that much anymore, which is really kind of a shame. I'm under the impression that the majority of the ones we were getting here in the U.S. were imported from Europe, and I don't know if they were just not exporting them out anymore, if people just aren't importing them. I don't know what's going on, but I do hope we get more of them because I do plan on getting more of them. I love these guys. I'd love to have a few of them. I don't know if I'd breed them. Honestly, thinking about it, maybe. Maybe, who knows? I'm kind of literally thinking of this right now. I, I never gave it much thought. It'd be kind of interesting to raise them, especially because we don't have a lot of them in the U.S., and especially because of the fact that they're not deadly, because that's another thing with those little teeny tiny babies. God forbid those get out and start living in my house. Billy's going to kill me. So we'll see when the time comes. If I could get a male and a female, I suppose the temptation would be there, but right now there's no plan. I'd just like to have a couple more of them in my collection because they're so darn cool. So as far as enclosure sizes for these guys, again, I didn't have the little teeny tiny ones, but when I do get one and I do it again, it'll be probably in one of those 5.5 ounce deli cups because it's going to offer a bit more height, a little sand in the bottom, spider in there, probably go for the flightless fruit flies, drop a few of them in because they're not going to be able to harm it. It's going to be under the sand, but it'll give it more targets, more prey items for it to go for. Mine, I put in the 4x4x6 because they were a little bit larger. They outgrew those. They probably molted four or five times, I would say. And outgrew those. And then the next one I put it in was a six by six by eight. It's about eight by six by six tall. You could easily put them in a critter keeper, something of that nature with some height to it, especially if you want to be extra careful. Anything around a gallon of size, two gallons. Again, you could really do a larger enclosure, decor- enclosure and decorate it really nicely. Just know it's going to be harder to spot the spiders. Part of the fun of keeping these guys is trying to figure out. It's like a where's wall, though. You're just looking at this blanket of sand trying to figure out, is that divot where the spider is? Is that divot where the spider is? So just know that the bigger the enclosure, the, hard it's, the harder it's going to be for you to find it. But then you get to play the game where you drop a couple prey items in and watch the spider hunt, which is absolutely amazing. So if you can find them, I highly recommend Zacharias tomasoides, the six-eyed sand spiders. They're amazing creatures just even if you're a tarantula person and you normally don't do the true spiders they're so unique looking so cool in the way they act with the whole you know embedding the sand in their exoskeletons with the way they're hunt they're definitely worth checking out and the big thing as i've mentioned before the reason why i don't keep a lot of true spiders is the fact that i've been spoiled by the lifespans of tarantulas i like things that live a long time and the true spiders generally you get a year year and a half out of them and they're gone with these guys you're talking 10 years or so i mean the ones i have now i, I probably should double check the date i will after this and, and probably put a little note in but i believe i've had them for like three or four years now so they're living quite long so that's something to keep in mind too that you're going to have these guys for quite some time even the one that i had that i believe was male was up there so awesome spiders definitely check them out let me know in the comments if you're in the u.s let me know actually regardless of where you are because i was just now i think about some people commented that were living in europe that were saying they haven't been able to find them which kind of worries me because i think that's where we're getting ours from so if you know a place that has them please feel free to chime in and let people know because i got a funny feeling after this usually i put a video like this uh, or a podcast or a video or something about a species up and then immediately some people go out and try to find it and in a lot of cases i get a bunch of emails going hey where do you get these i can't find them anywhere as of right now i don't know i can't find them anywhere so 
anyway, oh, and one last thing. Almost forgot. I normally, obviously, we talked about the humidity thing. You want to keep the humidity low. You don't want them in high humidity areas. I know I spoke to some uh, buddies in the Philippines that were trying to get a hold of them. They said they can't find them anywhere. And I would be curious to hear how these guys would do with the high humidity in the Philippines. I, I'd really like to hear about that. Temperatures. I originally, when I was looking at them, I read things that said they needed to be kept at really high temperatures. Not true. I don't keep my, maybe, I don't know if somebody, you need them high to breed. I don't believe so. But mine have been kept in the low to mid 70s in the winter and the mid to high 70s to like 80. Actually, we've had a couple days where it's hit 81, 82 in there. In the summer, they've done perfectly fine. They don't slow down eating in the winter. They don't hibernate. Again, there's I see no issues with temperature. They do not need elevated temperatures. So if somebody tells you that, I just saw something the other day where somebody was telling people to heat their collection and it was like driving me nuts. And uh, no, they don't need it. So Anyway, awesome spiders. Definitely check them out if you haven't already. They are very unique, very cool, and hopefully somebody out there, some people out there know where to find them, and we can get some more of them out there. It'd be kind of cool to, like, if some people pick them up to do, like, a post on Facebook and everybody post up pictures of theirs because they are an awesome species, and I think those of us who keep them really fall in love with them. So to end this one off, I've got a funny little anecdote, a little story that I want to share. That I, If anybody can appreciate this, it'll be, you know, people that are listening to this podcast. But anyway, I, as I said, I applied for a new job and I had to do the whole application process. And it came to a point where they asked for my email. And I have a couple emails I've used over the years. It's um, one of these people that like if I start a new endeavor, I kind of change and come up with a new email. So I keep stuff separated. So for a while I was doing like artwork and stuff. So I had my art by Moran email address that I don't check very often. So I didn't want to use that. And the one I use most often is obviously Tom's Big Spiders at Outlook.com. The one that's connected to the website and everything else I do with Tom's Big Spiders. So I went to fill out the application. I put in Tom's Big Spiders.com and I'm like, I got to change that. I can't have, I I don't want to get into the Tom's Big Spiders stuff in an interview with people I just mentioned. Because unfortunately there is a stigma surrounding tarantulas and keeping spiders. And I don't want to come across as a weirdo before I even get a chance to interview. So I, my whole plan was I put it in there for a placeholder and I'm like, I got to create another just Tom Moran email account that I can use a generic one for this type of stuff. Well, I forgot. And we put the application, sent the application in, everything was good, completely forgot it was on there until I received an email from somebody saying they would be interested in having me take place in the interview process. So I'm like, oh God, I used the the Tom or the Tom's Big Spiders one. So I started to panic a little bit and I'm like, all right, what, what difference does it make? You know, I'm sure nobody will ask who cares. You know, every, I've seen some weird emails over the years, especially from parents and stuff, and it shouldn't be a big deal. So I respond back. Well, as I'm responding back, I realize that not only does my Tom's, Tom's Big Spiders email in the signature, it has a link to my website. It has a link to YouTube. I really don't want them checking out my website and YouTube at this point. This is something I'd usually ease into because bottom line, I know there's going to be people out there that are going to go, what do you mean? It's amazing. It's awesome. You do this stuff. A lot of people find that weird and I, and I'm very cognizant of that. I, I don't just walk around and you know, Hey, I'm Tom Moran and I have a YouTube channel. 45 year old guy with a YouTube channel about tarantulas is about as weird as it gets. So I try to shy away from an ease into that stuff. So I had to go through, figure out how to take my signature out before responding. Now, mind you, I can't wait to respond. I go, yes, I want to be interviewed. I want this job. So I get the, the stuff out. I go to hit send. I realize that my little avatar, the little sim- the picture that goes along with my email is actually the Tom's Big Spiders logo. So if she didn't think that maybe the email address was just some kind of weird little thing, the logo proves that there's something that she could, you know, she could easily go, what is this? And Google it. And again, I'm proud of what I do. I think it, you know, as far as going for a teaching job, if you want to look at my material, as far as the podcast and the website and the YouTube things, I, it's a good indication of what I can do. 
but I really didn't want that getting out there. So I got rid of that, put the generic, you know, T in there for the picture that comes with the email and responded back to her. And so I get the first, basically the interview process consisted of two days. I had to be on the computer with Google meet. And the first day you have to do a writing prompt and they basically, you do the writing prompt and they sit there on Google meet and watch you. I guess they're afraid people are going to plagiarize. I don't know what the deal was, but they sit right there and watch. It was unnerving. I have no problem writing. I enjoy writing. Obviously the whole website started because I enjoy writing and liked writing articles about it, but having, knowing somebody staring at you when you do it a little weird. And so I obviously very nervous, put on my shirt tie, sitting at my, in my living room, very weird, surreal situation. And she introduces herself very nicely. And she goes, all right, obviously before we start, I got to ask, what is this Tom's big spiders thing? And I froze. I wasn't expecting it. I just figured it would be one of those things that she wouldn't call me on or wouldn't say anything about or I'd gotten by. And then I'm wondering, all right, did she Google this? How much does she know? It was the weirdest situation. So I went into it. The whole thing started with a quick introduction to the fact that I grew up on a farm and I'd been around animals my whole life. I would love to have animals outside. We don't have enough real estate for goats and sheep and things like that. I love goats. I've mentioned this before. So I started getting into exotics because I could have animals that I could take care of much the way I'd take care of a farm in my home without having all the room. I talked a little bit about how I was scared of spiders, that my wife and I got our first when we moved out. Like, hey, I have a wife. I'm not that creepy. And went there and she kind of laughed. And I said, and she's like, okay, because I'm actually hugely arachnophobic and was really scared of him. And I said, no, I went and purged everything. I, I even called myself out and said how I pulled the picture of, the, you know, Tom's big spiders off. I had a spider picture on there. I took everything off. So it went well, but oh my gosh, talk about what a way to start an interview. I was like sweating because you never know. I've, if you've, anybody that's had spiders for quite some time, you know there's such a stigma surrounding them that you can take the most reasonable person in the world and tell them you keep spiders and all of a sudden they look at you like there's something wrong with you, like you're defective. I've seen it from people before. It's like, wait a minute, we've we've had great conversations for years. Now you find I keep tarantulas and I'm some weirdo. It's like telling them you have some type of torture chamber in your basement or something. They get all weird around it. So you never know how people are going to react. And again, is it something I'm embarrassed about? Absolutely not. I honestly... Me personally, if, if I didn't have to worry about, you know, social interaction stuff, I could care less what people think what I do with my spare time. I mean, I, I love animals. I love spiders. It's something I enjoy. I always point out the fact that I have, and I did when I was talking to the woman that was interviewing me, the fact that I have four dogs and absolutely adore my dogs. They're my babies. I'm not some, you know, I do like my domestic pets, but that is something you got to be, you know concerned with a little bit. And I know there'll be people out there go, who cares? I wouldn't want the job anyway if, you know, they're going to be judge me on that. But that's just how the world works. And I do recognize that. So it was an interesting way to start the interview. Um, I don't know if, I think it in some way loosened me up a little bit because she did seem to be kind of interested in it, but it was not how I planned on starting it. And then I had to sit down and write a paper about education. So it was a weird kind of switch there. But Anyway, figured you guys would appreciate that story. Uh, it, it sounds like she didn't hold it against me because I did get the interview was the next day and then they did call my references. So it looks like I'm getting the job, but it was uh, definitely something that I kind of <laughs> wasn't planning on. And now I do have a Tom Moran email address just for those situations. So I don't have to do that again. Years ago, it's funny because I made my first email address. As a matter of fact, if anybody ever goes on YouTube and if you ever wondered why I believe the YouTube name comes up is like Big Papa Wop or something. 
That was a big joke where Billy and I, when I set up my first email address, when we moved out years ago, I didn't have a computer until I was 27 years old. We didn't have one in my house. Billy had a computer since she was in like junior high. So she was the one that taught me how to use a computer when we moved out together. And we created my first email address. And of course, Tom Moran, there's how many Tom Morans in the world? Tom Moran, Tom Moran with one M, trying all different combinations. And then we used to be huge wrestling fans back then and there was a guy scott steiner that went by big papa pump and i tried to do a play on that for a joke and it was big papa wop i just made it rhyme it meant nothing wap just so everybody's aware and it meant nothing and we put that up as my email address that came back to haunt me like my i signed up when i first got on youtube i wanted to leave a comment on a video so they i connected it to that address which is why you'll sometimes see that come up so hey anybody listen to this you get a little uh, inside information and that came up I when I was student teaching years ago, or no, I was doing my internship, and I wanted a letter of reference from a teacher because within a year I was going to be graduating and I was going to have to get a job and I needed a letter of reference. And the teacher's like, yeah, I'd love to write you a letter of reference. Give me your email address. And I'm like, oh, God. Oh, God. So I go, um, it's, and I just spelled it out to her. And she stopped and she looked at it and she went, this sounds like a porn site. It was humiliating. And... I was like, it's not, it was supposed to be a funny joke. We were just trying to make something right. Like it literally meant nothing. We kept trying to come up with things that rhymed with Papa and she never sent me my, I left. It was my last day. I left and she never sent me my letter of reference. So, uh, live and learn there. So you think by then I would have figured out to have just a regular Tom Moran email address for these situations, but no, it bit me in the butt again. So there you go. This has nothing to do with tarantulas. Hopefully you guys aren't sitting there going, what the heck? The guy that posted I go on tangents should have a field day with this one. But again, I don't let a lot about my personal life out because I try to keep the two things separate, but it, it's kind of, it, it kind of goes along with the topic. So what the heck? So anyway, that will do it for this one on that bizarre note. I'm, I'm trying to decide whether I'm ready. I, this is going to be one of these ones when I edit the podcast, just a little while we're coming clean here. When I edit the podcast, I am so insecure about what I'm posting up that there are times where I'm list. I go back and I listen to them now. I didn't used to ever listen to them. I go back and listen to them now because I have to prove, like, prove in my mind that these are worth putting out. I'm always afraid that after it's like that moment where you're about to publish, the anxiety sets in. Like, is this garbage? Is this trash? Are people going to sit there and go, "What are you stammering on about?" And sometimes I go through and like I know I said certain things in them. Like, should I cut that out? This will be one that I'm sitting there hovering over the button to publish, going, "Should I cut all this stuff out?" I probably won't. If you're hearing it, you know I didn't. If you don't, well, if you don't hear it. You don't hear it. Nobody's ever going to know. So we'll see how it goes. So anyway. You guys all have a fantastic week. Obviously, you can find me on Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders, my website. Uh, There was something else. Oh, I know what it is. I want to put a couple more podcasts up on YouTube. And I'd like to put my best foot forward. So I put one up a while ago just because I know some people on YouTube. Obviously, the YouTube audience is... uh, a bit more sizable than the one I have here. It's just, it's been around longer. And so I always try to make people aware of the fact that I do the podcast. But again, I had two people last week say they had no idea I had a podcast. So I think it's time to like run a sample one up there. The last one, I think I did my whole podcast on intermediate species and it got, I think we did bring some people over. So I would put out that which podcast, if you think, pick one or two that you think would be good ones to put forward over on YouTube that would make interesting introductions to what I do over here on the podcast. Because again, I wouldn't necessarily, I I will tell you, I'd probably shy away from any species specific care ones because I do the care videos over on YouTube. So that it'd be kind of redundant. But some of the topics that I get into 
don't really, it's hard to do them over on a YouTube video. So let me know if you could, which, you know, if there's a general consensus of people, which ones they think would be good ones to kind of be a calling card for people that might not be aware of the podcast that might find it something they'd be interested in. Let me know which episodes you think would be good ones to put over there, because I definitely want to run a couple more, put them up there on YouTube to just kind of be like, Hey, this is something I do on the side. Because again, it's, it's the last time I did this, my audience has grown quite a bit over there. And I think a lot of the newer people aren't aware that I do the podcast thing. And I am very proud of it. And I think for some people, I've, I've had a lot of people come over and go, you know what? I started with YouTube. I don't watch YouTube videos all that much anymore, but I'm still, I love the podcast. It's more like how I like to digest my tarantula content. So feel free to chime in. Let me know which ones you think that would be hugely helpful to me. I have a couple ideas in mind, but then again, like you guys are the ones that listen. So let me know. That'll do it for this one. This got weird, huh? Um, hope everybody's doing well, staying safe, crazy world out there, and we'll catch you all next time.